Conservatives are not diametrically opposed to liberalism, worth that they were, but they are not. The two have political and economic disagreements, but even conservatives understand the right is more of an anchor, holding back the progressive left's agenda, than a real alternative. This is why the right has a difficult time attacking the left in an aggressive way, whereas the left easily attracts large numbers of persons to shut down events and voices on the right. But liberalism is not attacking the conservative position. The left usually has few problems reaching across the aisle. It is something more that the left opposes. There are few on the right who agitate the left as much as Trump does. But he never represented conservatism to the left. Making America great again was a great message for Americans. It seemed to give his supporters a tangible platform to rally around. But this was never a great Christian or conservative message. There is more going on here than patriotism. If the West wishes to defeat liberalism, it must find the heart of liberalism and be diametrically opposed to this. There is no victory in attacking liberals' view of themselves. The oft-repeated description of liberalism is that it is the voice of freedom. This is not entirely wrong, but there are voices who point out that freedom is not free. If freedom is not free, then to advocate for freedom is at best disingenuous. Why not be the voice of a perpetual Caribbean holiday? Why call for something that someone must ultimately pay for? Freedom is not free is something usually said in the context of those who have laid down their lives to protect our democratic liberties. It is disingenuous to equate the sacrifice of our military personnel with those who demand we sacrifice the rights they fought for to give minorities privileges. Taking away rights of one group to privilege another group is a tactic used by tyrants everywhere to acquire greater power. One tires of comparisons made to Nazis, but they are the archetypical liberal. As is common to liberals, Hitler thought that if he could prove an injustice had been done, the Germans would have an absolute right to justice. The removal of rights of some to readdress an issue experienced by others is where what they did becomes evil. Hitler was an intersectional rights advocate. He believed groups had rights and they had debts. Hitler considered Jews were required to give up everything, including their life, to reconcile the debt owed their German neighbors. But let's assume the Jews had conspired against the Germans. Consider a scenario in which Jews had inserted themselves in the key sectors of the German economy. We do not need to argue Germany had no right to their culture or way of life, but did the Jews owe them their culture? What Hitler never demonstrated was that it is was the responsibility of the Jews as a group to rectify the situation. Whatever the situation, it was not a debt owed by all Jews. Assume for the sake of argument the Jews had taken possession of Germany. This may well have posed a problem for the Germans, but it was not a debt owed them. In fact, Germans have no more right to the land of Germany than they claimed the Jews had. The only injustice is if a German produced a unit of wealth that was stolen by a Jew. If this was the case, then what was stolen was recoverable by the person victimized and no other. Justice must be as singular as the injustice. But progressive liberalism is what one ends up with when one thinks like Hitler. Indeed, progressive liberalism is another name for fascism. Fascism ceases looking at individuals and focuses on intersectional grievances. But what do we do about the inequality and oppression that is visited on less aggressive or less connected groups? We cannot deny that certain groups do not do as well as others. 
It seems justified that if the Inuit and Rankin Inlet are worse off than the Canadian average, we subsidize them so as to bring their income up to the average. But this is lazy thinking and lazy policy making. No matter how badly off the group, they are not equally disadvantaged. Justice must be provided to individuals, not groups. It may be unfair that sheep are eaten by wolves, but must we provide wolves with other sources of food to save the sheep? And if we do, where does this feed come from? The trouble is intersectional Nazis do not look at the total picture. Liberals will say the Inuit of Rankin Inlet are being victimized, not by historic economic factors and not by Melanesian islanders, not even by the slum dwellers in the Bronx, because the only group that could be oppressing them are those with the financial ability to be charged with the task of alleviating their conditions. Which always is white men. If I asked you to invest in my business, you would ask why. You would want to know what is in it, for you? What if my business was in Rankin Inlet or one of the millions of other similar places? What if it was a village in Kentucky? Would you invest in a community of redneck hillbillies? In all likelihood, you would invest in neither though the reasons for not doing so might well be different. This reticence of liberals to invest their own money, compared with the speed at which they invest the money of other people, points to the problem of socialism. Liberals are more likely to do compassionate things with other people's money than with their own. In fact, liberals are compulsively driven to be good Samaritans with the money of other people. Tribuophilic, in Tribuophilia, ADJ, is the compulsion to be charitable with what belongs to others. It's a malady shared by all socialists. It might be labeled Robin Hood Syndrome. Tribuophilia poses two different sets of problems. We know that if we throw a handful of gold into the streets, there will be a fight. Offering free programs will produce a similar but muted response. People will fight to get a share of the benefits or fight for new programs. If they do not get what they think is their share, they will fight and if they think the program does not suit them, they fight for a program that benefits them. Regardless, if we offer a supply of free benefits, conflict will increase. Tribuophilia causes positive conflict in the sense that people will fight to gain benefits, but there will also be negative conflicts as people resist the expropriations. The probability is that most persons will fight for benefits and fight to resist paying for them or paying for the benefits of others. This ought to make everyone aware we have hit a brick wall. If tribuophilia is a dangerous mental disease that invariably causes dissension at the lower level and internecine warfare at the upper level, there are no known situations or environments in which tribuophilia ought to be permitted. But if we are going to take this position, we have invalidated governments and social justice operatives. If there is no known justification for permitting Simon to take from Peter to benefit Paul, what use are there for governments? What role can the social justice warrior play? If tribuophilia is universally abjured, all that is left is charitable giving the market. Charity is the donation of wealth you created to a project or cause you support usually without a middleman. Charity is best when done directly or at least without any deductions made for brokering the exchange. The market is people spending what they earned. The only true market is a cash market. Where debt is available, we have a form of seniorage. The cost of the money, the principal, is not the same as the cost to the consumer or ultimate user. 
but virtually the entire history of the world has been dominated by the assumption we had a right to take what others had, because these expropriations were to remake the world into a more perfect place. The merit of our vision was considered justified by two things. First of all, by the magnanimity of our vision, and second, by our ability to implement this vision. The greater the power needed to implement the vision, the greater the legitimacy it had if we could implement it. But is there ever any genuine justification for expropriating the wealth of others? Is there any social agenda or platform that gives the state the right to tax us, or worse, declare war on another nation? It is an either-or question. Either we have the right or we do not. If there is no justification to rob Peter to pay Paul, then the entire history of man has been a recording of an unfolding disaster. It is not enough to declare an action wrong, there has to be an alternative. If we had to shoot someone, part of the justification would be the lack of alternatives. Those who reject socialism are compelled to embrace individualism, there is no other choice. Socialism prioritizes the group and gives agency to the public body. To reject socialism is to acknowledge the individuality and the uniqueness of all things. Individualism is not just the rejection of intersectional group identities, it is the belief there are no two identical things in creation. If no things are truly identical, groups are a fabrication and illusion based on bigotry. Time and space are created by the individuality of created things. The time and space identifiers are elements of the individual identity. This is why no two things can occupy the same time and space coordinates. Individualists postulate the uniqueness of all created things. No other has a claim on a sovereign individual. We are unique and our unique individuality is inalienable and cannot be compromised or abrogated to benefit a group identity.